0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au So Ian's going to come, come up and continue his spiritual discipline. So just as you come up, we'll just pray for him. Father, we just pray for Ian, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that the words are from you, Father, Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that we'll be receptive to your words, Father, we allow them to penetrate our hearts, Lord, and to grow us and impact us, Father, Lord. We we pray for Ian's voice, Lord, where it might feel a bit scratchy, Lord, we just pray it might hold through for the whole preach, Lord, and we just pray blessing, Father, over Ian, in your name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. And uh, welcome Paul and Elaine, great to have you with us this morning We're continuing on with the spiritual disciplines This is number 6 It's the spiritual discipline of fellowship And if I get my controller ready I should be able to control this I hope no, gone a bit too far already that's okay. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's seven of those disciplines as most of you know, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, meditation, worship, this current one, fellowship and confession will be the final one um, and maybe a bonus of Bible study. Uh, there are... Handout sheets. We've had handout sheets, I think, for every single one of them. There's some there this morning. There's a couple of spare ones. And we've got handouts for the previous ones out in the foyer if you want to catch up on anything out there. So, have you noticed that your family is not perfect? You, someone has. (laughs) Have you got someone in your family that you don't get along with? Many families have Might not be just brothers and sisters we're talking about Could be mums, dads, kids, cousins, uncles, aunties, whatever There's uh, there's probably plenty in your extended family at least That are not perfect And uh, there's a pretty good chance That you're not perfect either Any human family will have members of radically different personalities and interests. Some are creative, some are fairly logical, methodical in the way they do things. Some are the outgoing life of the party types. Others are quiet, uh, even withdrawn. Some get along well with everyone. Others rub each other up the wrong way. That, in case you didn't know, is called sandpaper ministry. God uses sandpaper ministry to smooth the rough edges off of each of us. So you should give thanks for those people that you actually don't get along very well with. But just so, the family of God, the church, is made up of people from different walks of life, different personality types, different degrees of expressiveness, different passions and so on and so on. When God calls people to himself... He does the opposite of what we would usually choose to do. He doesn't necessarily invite in the ones that we would naturally get along with. He invites broken ones into his family. And then he gives us, who are already a part of that family, the opportunity to love them back to health. But you and I are broken too, I'm sure you realise And we need putting back together and loving back to health just the same. So the local church is full of people in various stages of brokenness. And the local church is the God-ordained place for healing and equipping these people. Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is not just some lovey, dovey, vague, nice feeling. Love, if it's going to be genuine love, needs expression. Love is actually not a feeling. There's a DC talk song I think number of years ago, it says love is a verb, love is a doing word. Love is not love if it doesn't go out to other people. God is love, the Bible tells us, and we know it's true because his love found expression to us in Jesus Christ. It wasn't kept to himself. Now all this talk about love sounds nice and comfy and cuddly, You might say, but you've obviously only had good experiences of the church. So, of course, you would think the church is wonderful. And I have had great experiences of the church. I do think the church is wonderful. You know, Mel and I have seen some of the bad, too. We've seen some of the horror stories of church. And we've been caught in the crossfire of a couple of churches that have been torn apart. I almost hesitate to tell you about that because I know some people seize on stories like that as evidence that the Christians are just as bad, if not worse, than people in the world and that they're all hypocrites and power hungry and don't care about anything but themselves. So I'm not going to give you all the gory details of that. Some of you know some of the details. Suffice to say that we've had a couple of uh, heartbreaking and extremely painful experiences of church done badly. One church we'd been part of for years was ripped apart by new leadership that came in just after we left and moved to Melbourne and within a matter of months, the church was destroyed. We were spared, fortunately, the first-hand experience of it because we'd moved to Melbourne, but it was still painful because we had people that we considered our family, our closest friends, ringing us up at... 11 o'clock at night in absolute tears, in desperation, begging us to come back and help them. But we couldn't. We were committed to Melbourne. The only thing we could do was cry. Cry and pray for them. And uh, to compound the herd of that, that was going on at the time when I was going through my spiritual crisis that I talked about a few weeks ago. When I was doubting God, I was doubting my faith. I was doubting Christianity and wondering whether I should just turn my back on it. If it wasn't for the faithfulness of God, it could have been the final nail in my spiritual coffin as well. Sadly, the problems in that church were never resolved. The church doesn't exist anymore. The building itself was bulldozed. It was a building that most of the members of the church had poured enormous amounts of money in to get it off the ground and to build it in decades before. And uh, there's a housing estate on the site now. No evidence that there was ever a church there. But worse than that, many of our friends were so badly wounded by the experience that they stopped going to church anywhere. Many of them have never gone back into a church since. That's two dozen years ago now. And many of our dearest friends have struggled either to get back to church or haven't gone back to church at all since. Strange story to tell when I'm trying to encourage you to love your church and commit to your church. And sadly, it's not the only horror story Mel and I have got about churches. Several years later we were here in Melbourne, part of a small church that had been doing fantastic work with drug addicts. There was a number of former heroin addicts in their congregation that had been born again, set free, filled with with the Spirit and addictions broken instantly. Um, I remember hearing the testimony of one of these young guys. He was a $500 a day drug addict. He had ripped off everyone he knew and more to sustain his habit, and he came to church with a friend of his who was a former drug addict. One Sunday morning before the afternoon was out, he was saved, water-baptised, spirit-filled, and clean. An unbelievable testimony. It was only a small church. It was not much bigger than we are, but doing fantastic work. But that church got ripped apart as well when the pastor's wife got involved in a relationship with one of the men in the church. This time, Mel got caught in the crossfire of that because uh, the Holy Spirit had revealed to her what was going on and uh, she knew all the sordid details of what was happening and uh, no one had spoken to her about it except the Holy Spirit. But the pastor's wife somehow knew that Mel knew. And after church one Sunday morning... Very publicly, very loudly, and very abusively launched into an attack on mel swearing at her at the top of her voice. Um, it was uh, horrific, and it was a pretty bruising experience. That church survived maybe two more weeks. The pastor and his wife divorced. The other man left his wife and his family, two kids. Uh, He split up another family in the process. We took some of the victims into our home for a number of months to care for them after that happened. Um, I don't know what became of the rest of them. I think a number of those abandoned church. I know there was one young guy in the church, a married young guy, got involved with a teenage girl shortly after that. The devastation was Terrible. Two horror stories from personal experience. Two awful stories of the pain caused by the abuse of power, by lies, by lust, by arrogance, by sin. I could tell you more horror stories. I could tell you stories of dear friends who've experienced physical, sexual, emotional and spiritual abuse in churches. I could tell you of other friends who flit from church to church. They've never been able to find anywhere to settle down. They've got cynical, critical and can't find any church they can call home anymore. God forbid that any of us should have to go through experiences like that. But if it should happen to you, I'm telling you that you must never abandon the church. You might have to leave that particular church that you're in for your own safety, maybe. You may have to take people with you for their safety. You may not be able to address the problems. You might not be in a position where you can address the problems. You may have to leave that church. But if you do, you must Find another church. You need to find another church. You need to find a healthy church, a supportive church, a healing church. Your relationship with Christ and your eternal destiny could hinge on your response. Sure, all of us know someone who has a horror story to tell about the church, whose story justifies to them at least why they've abandoned the church. Most of these people I find uh, still claim to be Christians. Some of them seem defeated, depressed, overwhelmed. Some of them seem arrogant, interestingly. Some of them seem to uh, think they've found a higher form of Christianity by abandoning the church, a purer faith. If you know someone like that, Let me ask you a few simple questions about these people. Do you see in that person a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you see a love for the saints? Do you see a peace and joy in their life? Or have they become apathetic, cynical, bitter, angry, maybe even hateful? towards the church and other Christians generally. I'm betting you'll see more of the latter than the former. I have yet to see a person who has abandoned church going, who has grown in their faith and their love for other people. Every person I've ever seen that walks away from commitment to a local church, their faith declines and they end up bitter and I can think of some, I can think of a number of people right now that that would apply to I don't ever expect to see anyone abandon church and become more healthy as a Christian why would anyone choose to put themselves in that company because that's not the way God has designed things to be so it's all right for me to sit here and or stand here and insist that you remain an active, committed member of the local church, but can I back it up with scripture, you ask? And you bet I can. <laughs> you knew that was going to be the answer, didn't you? Yeah. There's much, much more that I can fit into this message than I'm going that, that I could say than I can fit into this message, but here's several biblical pictures of the church that help us to understand the value of church membership. The value of connectedness to other believers and the value of involvement in the life of the church. It's not an exhaustive list, but the first one is the body. We are all members of one body, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12. Can you picture a body that is made up only of a nose, an elbow, an ear, and a shin? It looked like some sort of weird, absurdist art. Mm, like Picasso And it would function just about as effectively How can anybody function without missing, with missing parts? The old spiritual went The knee bone connected to the thigh bone You know that song? Them bones, them bones, them dry bones The knee bone is connected to the thigh bone for a reason then the thigh bone isn't designed to bear directly on the ground and carry the weight of the body on itself. It needs the knee bone and it needs everything below the knee bone connected to it to work properly. And the knee bone and everything below the knee bone needs the thigh bone above it to work properly. It doesn't work if the thigh bone is missing. Not only will dem bones not function properly, they will not be healthy either. The parts are designed to work together for the health of both and for the health of the whole body, if you're a thigh bone in the church, you need to keep thigh boning. That's one of your jobs. And that's the point Paul makes in First Corinthians 12 verse 12 and onwards. Just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, where are we up to? If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Do you feel like a weaker part of the body? Do you feel like you don't have much to contribute? Do you feel like you don't have much value because you don't have much to contribute? Have you ever thought, I wonder why I even bother with church since I don't really have much to contribute? But on the authority of the word of God, I tell you that you are indispensable. You are necessary to the body of Christ. You are necessary to the local church. We can't function without you. And you need us as well. Maybe you think of yourself as a lower intestine. A body without a functioning lower intestine is in all sorts of hurt. Doesn't matter what part of the body you think you are. You are necessary to our health and we are necessary to your health. Next picture in the Bible is that of family. I mentioned earlier about how families are made up of different personality types and interests and desires and passions. When God saves us, he brings us into his family, which means we're suddenly surrounded by all these strange people that we wouldn't usually choose to have as friends. But we're more than surrounded by them. We're related to them now. They become our brothers and sisters. They're related to us by blood. They're related to us by nothing less than the precious, perfect, eternal blood of Christ. And Truly, blood is thicker than water. It's a bond that can't be broken. We dare not turn our backs on those for whom Christ has died. In Ephesians, Paul told us, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And he also tells us in Galatians 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How rare it is to find a person who has rejected their own family and gone on to have healthy relationships with other people. Tragically, the streets and the subways and the bridges of our city and every major city testify to that truth. People who turn their back on their family have a frightening tendency to descend into mental illness, drug addiction, prostitution, exploitation and violence. Whenever you see a homeless person sleeping on a footpath in the city you should not only thank God that there but for the grace of God go I you should be reminded of the danger of turning your back on your family. Now some of these people had to leave their families for their own safety for their own health but isolation is not the solution. Finding another family a healthy, loving family Is a solution. The next picture we see in the Bible is of sheep. The Bible describes us as sheep. But sheep that separate from the mob don't last very long. They're vulnerable to wolves, foxes, wild dogs, they're vulnerable to getting caught up, tangled up in fences. And the wild dogs pick them off without mercy. That's true here in Australia with our Western farming methods, no less than is in the Middle East, where they lead the sheep rather than drive them. Stragglers and sheep that wander off on their own are helpless; they're defenceless. Sheep aren't designed as an attack animal, you might have noticed. Sheep that stay with the flock are safer and healthier. There truly is safety in numbers. The local church has a responsibility to these sheep. In fact, it has the responsibility to be the place where sheep can be fed, watered and cared for. You remember Jesus saying to Peter in John 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Sheep have a responsibility to stay where they get fed, where they get watered, where they get sheltered. The church has the responsibility to feed, water and shelter the sheep, but the sheep have a responsibility to stay with the flock. There's no other place, no other institution on earth that has been charged with feeding and tending the flock of God but the church and local churches. I told you a few weeks ago about how the Bible saved my life physically as well as spiritually. But the Bible didn't save me in isolation from a church. I didn't want to go to church at the time, but I knew I needed to hear the words of eternal life. So I went to church for my own safety, my own life. It didn't save me in isolation, it saved me in partnership with a local church. And God used those experiences I went through then, as painful as they were at the time, to strengthen my faith, to strengthen my conviction that I must be, and that we must be, a part of a church. There's another picture in the Bible, that of a temple or a building. You'd remember in 1979, Pink Floyd sang a rather depressing song, All in all, you're just another brick in the wall." And it can feel a bit like that sometimes in the church, can't it? That you're just another brick in the wall, just another number on the membership roll. And it's true, we are bricks in the wall. The Bible says we're bricks in the wall. But the Bible calls us living stones. We're bricks that are building a spiritual house that offers acceptable worship to God. That means we're more than nameless, faceless bricks in the wall. We're a building material that has purpose, that has a reason for existence and therefore a reason to continue with our church commitment and involvement. In First Peter chapter 2, Peter wrote, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I've been in the building industry all my working life and I can tell you a building that is missing some of its bricks is a building that's neither safe nor secure and nor is it comfortable for there's little protection from the weather when those stones, those bricks are missing. I can also tell you that one brick on its own doesn't make a building. So again, your involvement in a church is necessary for the structural integrity of the whole church. And be warned, bricks that don't get laid into the wall of a building always end up in the rubbish dump. Paul mixes things up a bit in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.19, he tells us, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together. God's dwelling in the Spirit. So Paul tells us there, we're citizens, so we not only have rights, but we also have responsibilities. And we're members of God's household, so we have family to care for. And we're being built together into a place for God's Spirit to dwell. You remember Jesus' promise where two or three are gathered in my name? There am I among them. Just about every person I know that has abandoned church uses this verse to justify going out for a coffee with their Christian friends and saying that we're doing church. But I want to ask, who are they trying to kid? When they get together at the cafe with two or three of their Christian friends? Are they gathering there to worship God? Are they gathering there to hear the word of God preached? Are they gathering there to share communion together? Are they going out for a coffee to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other? I doubt it. Jesus made no promise to be among the person who separates himself or herself from the local church. Hence the reason, I think, why you see the light of Christ gradually dim in the eyes of those who abandon church and usually get replaced with cynicism, criticism, bitterness, anger and in extreme cases, complete rejection of Christ. There's another picture, that of the vine and the branches. John 15, Jesus said, I am the tree vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Again, we see there in that picture that we must stay connected to Him, but we don't have that connection in isolation from others. You, plural, are the branches, plural. And our fellowship also involves the uncomfortable experience of being perfected by God. Every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. He prunes. I can't imagine pruning is a comfortable experience. But he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now I could branch off here, no pun intended, to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where are you going to learn patience or self-control, in isolation from others? How will you learn to love if you refuse to get together with others? There's a whole bunch of scriptures that find their greatest outworking and fulfilment in the context of a local church, and in some cases find their only fulfilment in the context of a local church. And these scriptures are not just nice suggestions, they're not optional extras, Their commands. I'll run through a couple of them. And there's more listed in the handout notes. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We read that just before. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, and so fulfil the law of Christ. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I've got all the way into this message about how important it is to not neglect church and haven't had to mention that verse yet because the pictures are so clear in the rest of Scripture about the importance of it. This is how Christ is formed in us by gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, having the rough edges sanded off of us, learning to love, learning to bear one another's burdens, by working out all the one another verses of scripture, and there's a lot of them. You can only do that in regular fellowship with other believers. You might get a sense that I feel passionate about this subject, this particular spiritual discipline. It's been something close to my heart for 20 years or more. It's not just because I lead a church now that I'm passionate about it. I've been passionate about it for decades. The reason it's so important to me is the local church was the means that God used to save me. The Bible read and preached in the local church. It saved me from destruction. And it breaks my heart to hear of brothers and sisters in Christ who have abandoned the church. People who don't go anywhere now for fellowship and encouragement. And I'm sure all of them have their reasons for not going anywhere, reasons that sound valid to them and maybe even sound valid to us. They've been hurt by a church, that's a pretty common one. They don't fit in anywhere. They've been to plenty of churches but none of them welcomed them in. They can't find a church that preaches the gospel properly or doesn't sing the songs they like or doesn't have a crèche for the kids. And I've heard horror stories from friends, as I mentioned, stories that would turn your stomach if I told you the details of them. I've walked, We've walked with some of them through the devastation the pain, the fallout of those situations, so I can sympathise with them. The reasons are beyond counting why a person might abandon regular church going. Frequently the fault does lie with the local church. Make no bones about that. We don't get it right. We're not perfect. But sometimes it lies in the person who won't settle or commit anywhere. We're in a commitment-phobic culture now. People don't even like to commit to whether they're going to come to a party on Friday night and see how we feel after work on Friday, whether we go. Regardless of the reasoning behind it, it's all tragic in my mind. Newsflash, you know the church isn't perfect. I'm not telling you something you don't already know, I'm not letting out a closely guarded secret. You only need to read the papers to see the church isn't perfect. You only need to be in one to know the church isn't perfect. We all know the church isn't perfect, and if it was, as the old joke goes, they wouldn't let in any of us, because we would spoil it straight away. But the reality is that the church is precisely what God uses to perfect us. He puts us in the local church to learn to grow, to be stretched, to be challenged, to be confronted by uncomfortable truths about ourselves sometimes. He puts us there for that sandpaper ministry to round us off. Church will never be all beer and Skittles, not this side of heaven anyway. It will never be a bed of roses because God is putting putting us into relationship with people who are different from us to teach us how to love them. Sometimes that feels like cruel and unusual punishment. And you know what else? The church is not my idea. It's not your idea. It's not man's idea. The church, the local church, is God's idea. Even if none of the other reasons convince you, that should be sufficient. God had this idea that the local church is a good thing. God had this idea that he wanted to work through the local church. That alone should be sufficient for us to commit and say, that's where I need to be. Week in, week out. I know there's times when things get in the way, you get sick or you get family commitments or whatever else. But our commitment should be week in, week out to the local church because it's God's idea. It's the church that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. It tells us in Ephesians, I think it is. The church is blood-bought. It's precious to him. It should be precious to us. Let me close by sharing something I read the other day because it ties in with with some of what I shared last week on worship. And it's a quote from someone who wrote, A few few Sundays ago I had laryngitis. Though I couldn't sing... My soul was edified by fellow church members who sang for me. And then it struck me. This is the experience every week for many elderly members in our churches. They remain seated, trying their best to follow along, but infirmities inhibit them. Brothers and sisters, we can serve those who cannot sing by singing with, to and for them. I shared last week that that was the experience I had and I had it again this morning that when I'm with my brothers and sisters I can see you eyes closed lifting your hands or kneeling in somewhere this morning in worship of God when I can hear your voices lifted in praise and adoration of our King it builds me up you're singing for me as well as for him it's one of the purposes for which God calls us to gather together on a Sunday and worship in is to encourage and build each other up. Do you realise that you have a ministry here in City Edge? Every one of you has a ministry here in City Edge? You might not be up the front like Merrily and Saxon and Laura this morning. You might not be here preaching or leading as Mike was or on the overheads with Paul or sound with Harley on the coffee machine, whatever, you might not have a visible ministry within the church, but each and every one of you have a ministry in this church. And it's a ministry that can only be performed here or for our visitors in your home church. It's a ministry whether you realise it or not that God has given to you and given to each one of us to exercise every week. It's the ministry of lifting up your voice to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. And I can promise you, it's an effective ministry to me every week. It encourages me. It stirs me. It lifts me up. It challenges me. It strengthens me. It excites me. It refreshes me every week. You can't exercise that ministry in isolation from the church. You have to be here to do it. You can sing to God with your, the top of your voice in your car, but that doesn't encourage me and it doesn't encourage the other people sitting here. You can only do it here on a Sunday or in a home group or something where you're committed to gather regularly. Regular church attendance not only builds you up, it builds the rest of us up too. And you build the rest of us up. You all have a ministry. So my question, my challenge to you this morning is will you make regular church attendance a heart commitment, a non-negotiable of your life? Because it may get to the point sometime in your life where it saves you, like it saved me. You may need that commitment and it needs to be a commitment that you've decided this is unbreakable. I'm doing it no matter how I feel. There's plenty of times that I've got up on a Sunday morning and thought, gee, it'd be nice to go back to bed. Whether I'm having to be up here preaching or whether it was when just sitting in the pews. Plenty of times I think, I'd like to be somewhere else this morning. But there's a commitment there because I know how desperately important it is for my health, my spiritual health, and for yours too, that I'm here praising God, singing psalms and singing hymns and spiritual songs to you, with you, and for you as well. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au